we're doing a Teaching One Another Sunday today. And let me explain. There's at least two reasons why we're doing this. But one reason is, and what this is, is where, where the sermon is going to be given by you all. Okay? As you share scriptures that you've been reading and looking at recently and, and, how, and sharing how the Lord has used those scriptures in your life and in your heart and in your circumstances. But there's two reasons that we want to do this. One obvious reason is because of how powerfully God works in our lives through the scriptures. I mean, there are so many promises of what happens in us as we hear God's word with open and responsive hearts. Faith is strengthened. Comfort is given. Joy comes. Discernment between truth and error is given. Guidance is imparted. Truth is given. Encouragement and strength are given. And the list just goes on and on and on. And so I'm praying that as many of you this morning come up here and and share scriptures that God has given you recently, that as the rest of you listen with open and responsive hearts, that, that you will experience Jesus directly touching your heart through these scriptures that are shared. That's one reason, is because of the power that there is in God's word. Now, second reason, and the reason we want to open this up to all of us, is because if you're trusting Jesus Christ, then your heart has been changed, so you have a direct relationship with the living God through Jesus. And because of that relationship, he gives you the Holy Spirit by whom you can understand this book. You can read the Bible for yourself. This is huge. What a treasure we have in the scriptures. And you can open up the Bible and pray and say, teach me this morning, teach me this afternoon, and the Holy Spirit will come and will teach you. So you can be taught the scripture. You can study and read the scriptures on your own. This is an amazing thing. And not only that, but you will be used by God in sharing the scripture with each other in powerful ways. It's not just the pastors who can study the Bible and who can share the scriptures with other people. There is a place for, there's an office of teaching in the Bible, in the church as we see described in the Bible. But what can so easily be neglected is the fact that all of us can read the scriptures on our own and there's a massive part of ministry where we, as Paul says in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within us so that You are sharing the scriptures with your husband or your wife as you're driving somewhere or with your kids around the dinner table or with people in your home group as you're at Starbucks or on the phone or as you're, you know, connect with somebody at our church as you're in line at Costco or wherever it might be. You can let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as we share the scriptures that we've read that day in a a way that will powerfully build each other up. So those are the two reasons. The, The benefits that come to us through the scriptures and the fact that God has set the church up so that every part of the church of Jesus Christ can study the scriptures for him or herself and can share the scriptures in powerful, life-giving ways with each other. So we're going to take a Sunday where we kind of dial that up. Because it's just really easy. You come here Sunday after your Sunday, and you, know, you hear somebody up here preaching, and that's good, and we'll keep doing that. We're not going to stop doing that. But it's easy to kind of move into thinking, well, that's where the word is ministered in the church. And it's, that's not the only place where, that it is, where it's ministered. But you, yourself, can share the scriptures powerfully with others. So here's what we're going to do. If you've got a scripture to share this morning, um, that you've studied this last week or recently, I'd like you to just come on up and sit in these front rows so that we we don't need to spend a lot of time wondering who's going to be next. I'm going to move this mic over here. In fact, let's have the ushers come forward. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? Because I'd like you all to be able to look up these scriptures for yourself if, if you don't have a Bible. And so if you're going to share a scripture, come on up. One of these fr- Is anybody going to share a scripture this morning? Come on up. And uh, 
there's kind of a three-point outline that I'd like you just to, to, not in some kind of a rigid way, but I'd like you to try to follow. First, simply read the scripture and then explain what it means, what's the author saying, okay? And then third, share how the Holy Spirit used this in your life. So let me, I'm going to just be a and show you because this morning I read in, in James chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. I don't know, if you have a Bible we passed out, if you could just sh- shout out the page number. I don't have the, the Bible with the page numbers that you all have so the people can be turning. But here's, here's what I read this morning. James chapter 4. It's so powerful. James 4, 13, 14, 15. Come now you who say, are we all turning? What page is it on in, in the Bibles we're passing out? 10, 13. 1013. Okay, back to the right. James chapter 4, starting verse 13. So I'll try to follow this outline and give you an illustration. And plus, this just so, so met me this morning. The Lord touched me with this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So you've got all these plans of what's going to happen tomorrow or whatever. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Here's what the author is saying. Don't make plans as if it's all under your control. We're nothing. We only live and do this or do that as the Lord wills. So humble yourself and see that God's in control of everything, and be humbly tentative, knowing that it's up to God what happens. And so this just convicted me about how uh, much I think I'm in control. It convicted me about how I, I, I do tend to think I can plan this and plan that and plan that. I love being in control of things the Lord's showing me. And he just convicted me that I need to be more humble and realize I'm just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So the Lord humbled me, showed me some sin. Sweet time of prayer over this this morning. It was good. Okay, who's next? I'm coming first so that I'm going I'm to set the bar really low so that hopefully more of you will come up and, and be willing to share. So, um, man, I've been waiting for this moment. I'm telling you. Uh, actually, you know, I was, I was trying to figure out what scripture I was going to share, and then all of a sudden I opened my Bible and there was one that was highlighted, and I read it, and I thought, now I know why I highlighted it. So it's Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six on page 724 of the Bibles that we have handed out to you today. And it says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. So the reason this verse speaks to me is because I am no biblical scholar, contrary to popular belief. So I cannot go toe-to-toe with someone who really knows the Bible. But I cannot deny what the Lord has done to my heart, how he has taken my heart of stone and given me a heart of flesh. And so there is no denying that, and there is no... Uh, debate there, there is nothing because, you know, I've got a heart of stone on my own. But what the Lord can do is is turn that, soften that heart so it's just a, 
a, a sponge, a sponge, a fleshy sponge that will just totally be soft to people and absorb his his spirit and his word. And you know, there, there's no there's no denying that. And so I don't have to know all these scriptures off the top of my head. I can go to this scripture, and that tells me tells the whole story. Because there's been some changes in my life that have happened that can only be attributed to God and His work in my heart. There you have it. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to read from First John chapter 5, and I don't know what page number that is. It's page 214 in my ultra-thin Bible. Uh, so it's chap- First John chapter 5, um, verse 4 through, through 5. Um, for everyone born of born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that we have. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is, who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And um, sometimes uh, I get really just frustrated with things, whether it's things in my own life or things that I see and going on in the world and injustice and things. And um, I also just get frustrated sometimes. I have uh, a family member um, who I haven't been able to talk to for two years now, and um, I think of how, you know, for those of us who've overcome the world, we've been saved, um, we can um, help um, a family member or a friend, we can pick them up, we can't we can't save them. Only Jesus does the saving, but we can encourage them, pick them up. And I guess I was just thinking about it this morning, um, how I've started to pray more fervently for this family member and um, that she would believe, um, and that's how she would overcome. But I can help and pray for her, and even hopefully if she wants to talk to me again, um, that uh, I can be an instrument in her life again. But um, the two things that... Uh, this word overcome apparently means I did in my brief study of it is that we've been over, we've we've overcome in the sense that we're saved in Jesus we've overcome there's no question about that um, we're not going to lose that but we're also in the process of overcoming like Maria said she's being sanctified and and um, so we're constantly overcoming the world and we co- constantly um, I guess in a sense claiming that victory so. Um, it's encouraging for me. It's encouraging that I can, um, uh, hopefully, you know, right now I can only pray for this person, but um, that uh, that she can also believe. I can be praying that she'll believe, and that um, she can experience that victory as well. So, page nine hundred. It's John thirteenth chapter. Just a couple of verses there, around about the 16th. Jesus is talking, and he said, Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you that do them. That particular scripture has been, um, has been really meaningful to me the last few years. 
I guess ever since our first Morocco trip, um, the um, missionary that's there um, got an email from him yesterday. And, uh, you know, while the Marshes and the Westlings and the Mancinis and Didi and I were there this March, there was an imam that was baptized. A holy man of Islam was baptized. And it looks like it's going to happen again. Um, this particular man is, um, boy, this really gets me talking about these people. These uh, these men, because they are they are literally giving up their life to preach Christ. It's uh, just amazing. But this fellow, he wants a Bible. He 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 told um, Joey Easley the other day. He said, "I want a Bible. I want to learn about this Jesus that you serve." Because I have studied for years the Quran, and I have nothing to show for it. You know, it's just amazing. So I see the. To be a servant or to be a sender, very important. And uh, I'm very encouraged by it because I'm probably getting too old to keep going too many more years. <laughs> but <laughs> we are talking about going to Morocco. Okay. <laughs> but I just encourage you, if you, can't, if you can't go, at least be a sender, you know, and God will bless you. Thank you. The scripture that I'm going to share is 1 Corinthians 13, 1, and I'm going to read it out of a, the message because it applies the way it's written to my situation. And in your Bible, it's 939, but you're not going to be able to follow it anyway. So, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say and what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others then for self, love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always and always looks for the best and never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Anyway, um, some of you I've shared, I have a, a younger sister who came to live with us this, in October, it'll be a year, and um, she, a little bit of background, she at the age of 18 was involved in a cult for 18 years, and now for 18 years she's been out of it, and out of the cult, and her relationship and mine has been very strained for the year, through the years, but as an encouragement to you, God has always brought her back into my life at times when she was open so that I could minister to her and um, it just God just worked out the circumstances and she's rather had a really really hard life she's just gone through her third divorce and lots of other things and um, God just orchestrated all the circumstances so she came to live with us 
um, and she went back to school. Well, during the time that she's been living with us, I'm home. She's at home most of the time because she's went back to school. So she's in the room working on her computer all the time. And it was really, really getting really, really hard for me because <laughs> she was wanting all my time. And I'm, we're very opposite in that way. I'm always up doing things and she's, uh, very the other way. So, um, she would always want my attention and she'd stop me all the time and want to talk to me. And I'm like, oh, Lord. I'm never going to get anything done. All she wants to do is talk to me all the time. And um, I found myself getting very impatient with her. And and instead of praying about it immediately, I just kept saying, Oh, Lord, how am I going to put up with this? This is, you know, how am I going to get through this? She's just going to be taking up all my time. And, and, uh, and then the Lord brought me to this scripture, and he said, Wait a minute, I want you to look back at the situation. Did you not pray? for this, for her, for this time. I didn't know God was going to bring her to live with us, but <laughs> but anyway, I was very thankful at the time, and he said, remember how thankful you were? And then he reminded me of the scripture and um, and said, listen, she's there for a purpose, and I know that, you know, and I have to keep uh, reminding myself of that, and the Lord's reminding me too, and that script, the, the song that Dave sang this morning about run to him, that's what I need to do continually because I can't be patient with her and love her and do all those things unless God enables me to do that. And um, so I'm just very thankful that God has never given up on her, that prayers are answered, that God is never late, he's always on time, and even if he thinks, we think that he's not doing something, he is. And we've had some times when I could minister to her, and it's been really, really special. And um, anyway, I just want to encourage you to not give up and to remember to be patient <laughs> and kind. Thanks. Uh, I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to share. Actually, I wanted to wait and see how many people were going to share, and if there was enough, I was not going to do it. But uh, it just seemed during worship that what I had to share was right in line with um, what was happening. So here I am. Uh, this is First John two, page thousand twenty one. Another First John, popular this morning, I guess. Uh, and I want to preface. Um, I've been studying this uh, first, or in John, he's an old guy, and he gets right to the point. He just tells us exactly why he's writing, what he's what he's saying, and why he's saying it. And uh, he's telling us in chapter one that he's writing for our joy, and so that we can have fellowship with each other and with God. And if you're not in that situation, if you're lacking joy, you're not in fellowship with God. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Whatever the sin is, pride pleasure, whatever you're looking at to satisfy your life, uh, that's not God. Uh, even if you're just ignoring God, that's a sin. And you're, you're not going to have that fellowship. You're not going to have that joy. So John is, uh, is pastoring us. He's, he's telling us we need to go to God. In chapter 2, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oops, verse 2 is only one page away. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. 
and what he's telling us is that um, yes, you're you're in sin, you're ignoring God, you're looking for pleasure for satisfaction otherwise other places, but Jesus Christ has made the sacrifice. He is our propitiation. He makes us right with God. He's taken the wrath and he's given us the righteousness and now we have standing with God. We're right with God. And what this verse is saying, he's not only, the, the verse, the word is translated advocate there. He's our advocate. He's like a lawyer pleading our case to the Father. Hebrews says he's um, taken his place at the right hand of the Father and now he is there to always make intercession forever to make intercession for us. So he's there with the Father. And not only is he our advocate, not only does he plead our case, but he himself is the propitiation. He himself is the sacrifice. He's the advocate and, in fact, the reason that we can be forgiven, the reason we can go to the the Father, we can have standing with the Father. Jesus Christ is always there. So the application is this. If you're lacking joy, if you're lacking that fellowship with the Father, the the joy that Jesus came, he said he came to to give us joy, to give us his joy, not the world's joy, his joy. If you're lacking that, it's because of sin. Sin has separated you from God. There's no reason, no reason not to go to God through Jesus. His blood covers you. You have standing with him. Jesus' very presence there allows you to do that. It's almost as if, if Jesus' presence, yes, he advocates on our behalf, but just being there in front of the Father, with the Father, reminds the Father that, yes, Jesus has covered, his blood has covered your sins. Go, restore that fellowship, have that joy again. That's it. That's great to be back here. <laughs> it's just been too long. Um, so I'm going to be uh, reading out of First Chronicles. Old Testament good stuff. Uh, so this is First Chronicles 28, verse 9. And uh, the background of this is that uh, King David is uh, commissioning his son, Solomon, and trying to encourage him in how he should lead his life as he becomes king. So First Chronicles 28, verse 9. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And uh, I I want to share a little bit about what's been going on in my heart the last six months. But in particular, um, I don't know about you guys, but for myself, when things are bad, I really seek God. And I really just get down on my knees and I ask God, why are things going this way? But when things are good... I kind of get in the habit of just reading my Bible, maybe going to church, but there isn't really this heart desire to seek God. It's just kind of a, you know, thanks for being there, God. Things are going cool. And that's not what this verse says. It doesn't say just seek God when things are going bad. It says seek the God with wholehearted devotion to really seek Him. And, uh... You know, it's, it was kind of scary because I remember in January I wasn't working that hard because there was nothing much to do at work. It was kind of a lull. And I remember God said to me, Ian, will you seek me when things are good or just when things are bad? And I said, well, what do you mean by that, Lord? And he said, well, I want you to really talk to me and ask me what I'm up to when things are just okay in your life. And I 
thought, okay, well, what, what should I be talking to you about? <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. It was kind of a scary thing. And literally two weeks later, I was on this roller coaster ride of work of just these incredibly intense projects. Um, I was on this project for three weeks where I was, I was working 90 hours a week. And it was just super intense. I was just really bitter and cranky. I didn't want to be on it. And then I immediately jumped into this other project where I was working with a manager who was just so intense. I mean, he was constantly picking on me of just the little things. And I was just like, God, why is he doing this to me? And yet, I was still kind of stuck in this me-centered world, not really seeking God, but just complaining. And, uh, and then I finally went on this Paris project, and I haven't been here for quite a while because I've been in Paris. And it took up until the last week I was in Paris that I finally started seeking God and really just crying out to God and saying, why, why all this pain in my life over the last couple months? And it was kind of hard to hear the answer. It was, well, Ian, you weren't willing to seek me when things were okay. So I had to push you pretty hard until you finally would seek me when things are bad. I'm like, whoa. I'm that stubborn and you had to do six months of pain for me to really seek you with my heart? Well, I mean, for one, that shows how stubborn and sinful I am. <laughs> and two, it shows how much God loves me, that he would push me that hard and push me that much, not because he wanted to put pain in my life, but because he really wanted me to seek him. And so just as David commissioned Solomon, I think God is commissioning us to really seek him and to uh, really get down on our knees with our heart and seek him when things are good and when things are bad, always, to have our heart set on him. And that can be tough because, you know, we're always so busy, but uh, if God loves us enough to put difficulties in our life so we seek him, I think it almost goes to our benefit to seek him when things are good so we don't have to go through those bad things. <laughs> so there you go. Good morning, everyone. Um, let's see here. I chose um, Proverbs 18, um, verse 2, um, but I'll also read 1 and 3. Um, so uh, it's on page five, 540 in the Bibles we gave to you. Um, <clears throat> it says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. Um, but I wanted to focus on uh, verse two. Um, I'm coming. Up, I'm going up to um, Sonoma State for my second year um, in a couple weeks, and uh, <clears throat> I've found that uh, a lot of the kids um, up there that I've uh, talked to and just even just trying to discuss the Bible with, um, really hadn't considered my view, I guess, or my, my beliefs, and um, didn't really want to understand where I was coming from, but really pushed their own um, opinions about the Bible. Um, I had one roommate that said the Bible is a good guideline um, in some ways, but in other ways it wasn't. And I was just confused by the fact that <clears throat> he could believe something halfway and not really go all the way through with it that, that it was just like he couldn't commit one way or the other with the world or with the Bible um, so I think that when we're dealing with um, people like that um, we need to realize that they don't have the word they don't have the base um, of the word of God and we do 
<clears throat> and we can go to the Word um, and kind of just and use it as our guide instead of just pushing our own beliefs and our own feelings, um, but what God wants for us. And so, um, yeah, I think um, this coming semester I'll, I'll be um, a Bible study leader. I'm, I'm thinking I'll be dealing with more people um, that, not dealing with, but, you know, I'll be encountering more people that uh, really don't want to understand um, and just push their own ideas. And um, But I'll, I'll, I, I just think that it's a great verse <laughs> that God knows that people don't people won't understand us um, and that they're, they're, they'll be put, trying to push us around um, but we can always come back to the Bible and His words so that's what it meant for me so thank you okay so this verse is Matthew seventeen twenty, and it's on page 823 turn with me I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Can't even get through the verse. <laughs> Nothing will be impossible for you. So, I don't think I need to explain what that means. It's pretty clear. Um, but the way God has touched me through it is... Um, he doesn't say, you can say to this little hill, scoot over. It says, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. Not like just kind of shove it over, but that God can, everything's, sorry, go my head. <clears throat> anyway, if you have a mountain in your life, and all of us have mountains, some of us have huge mountains, but for each of us, they're huge individually, and sometimes they're there for a long time. Even if you just have that little mustard seed, God's going to do huge things, and He's doing huge things, and He's going to move the mountains when He's ready to move them. So, there you go. I was going to get mad until you started crying like that. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. Um, mine is First uh, Peter two nine and ten. I had to have it written down so I wouldn't forget it. Uh, Jay, Jay kind of mentioned that this was happening, and I I wanted to jump in. Not that I'm really prepared, but um, it's on page. 1015 in your Bibles, but the version I have is from the Living Bible, which I really like. And it says, For you have been chosen by God Him. Okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> For you have been chosen by God Himself. You are the priest of the King. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were less than nothing, now you are God's own. Once you knew very little of God's kindness, now your very lives have been changed by it. 
So, the reason a lot of you know what it means to me is, number one, my recovery. You know, my, my life was pure black for a lot of years. And uh, even in daylight, my life was black. When you're, when you're living out in the bushes and begging and panhandling to get something to slam a needle in your arm, you know, it's, it's kind of dark out there. And God brought me into recovery. That's the main reason I like this scripture. Um, but what it also means for all of us is the mission. We are all ministers. God has put, brought me to this church. He is, he has given me the opportunity to be in a, uh, a motorcycle ministry. And we, we ride and we priest to, we minister to the outlaw groups. Um, we're doing one next weekend. We're going to be down in Lathrop. There's going to be about 3,000 bikes and probably more than half of them are going to be outlaws who don't like us. And we will be there. And as the Lord washes the feet, I will be shining boots for these people. Um, it also has to do with our neighborhoods and our community. We all know somebody who's still in darkness. And that we can be an example of how he brought us out of that darkness into his light. We have family members. Um, right now my dad is, he's getting sick fast. And in the last uh, two months, we've got him on oxygen now. We've gotten him a walker because his legs are giving out. Um, his lungs are filled with asbestos from his trade. And I've got the opportunity to minister to my dad. And I was talking to him last week. You know, I just prayed, give me the strength to just bring it up. And he gave me that strength. And so I started talking to my dad about his salvation in the Lord. And he said, you know, I, I, I believe in God and, and Jesus, but I'm not a practicing, you know, person. I don't do this, you know. And I said, well, it's not believing, Dad. It's do you accept him as your Savior? I said, it's about your salvation. I said, it's really important to me that you know this. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do to know this? You want me to start going to church? And I said, you're in church right now, Dad. I said, when two or more meet in his name, he'll be present. So I've got an opportunity to, to do this. And I tell him, I said, you remember what I looked like 18 years ago, Dad? I said, look at my life now. You know, number one and most important to me is God. I said, but look at this beautiful woman that he's given to me, this gift of this bride that I have and the family that, that she has that has accepted me as their father. You know, all this because of him. All this because of him. We all have a chance to minister and be a messenger of God's great goodness. So, thank you. My name's Sean, and I'm going to plug the children's ministry this morning. Because it was there that uh, God taught me 
what I'm going to teach you this morning. That's kind of cool. I was like teaching the kids last week, and uh, I'm like, this is really cool stuff. I've been a save for 12, 13 years, and I didn't even know this. You guys are going to learn it real young. None of you are 12 or 13 years old. So they all have a leg up on me. But if you would, turn in your Bibles or your cell phones to Genesis. In, in Palm, my central, Ben Mancini, brother mine, you know, Tommy, it's the uh, middle button that brings up the book list. Genesis, real easy, first one in the Bible, 3, verse 7. We're going to go to two spots in Genesis. Quite frankly, because you need to understand 3, 7 through 11 before you can understand 4, 3 through 5. So that's where we're going next. So, 3, 11 through 11a, which is the first sentence of 11. Then the eyes of both, that would be Adam and Eve, were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed, uh, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in this cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to them, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the sound of the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So, quick quick question. Were they afraid when they were naked before they had sinned? No. Kids were like, they were naked? What? And, you know, we're all clothed, and we're ashamed to be naked in front of one another in a church setting like this, hopefully. So... <laughs> Well, for us married people, yeah. But I'll stop there. So, there's a real important lesson to learn here. And it has to do with what God did later. And what he did mm, about four or five verses later when he gave them proper loincloths. When he gave them skins, as it were. So, I'd like to just read something to you real quick from a commentary here. And when you read a commentary... Um, sometimes it can sound like real dull and dry, but this one's not. So, and I'll try to read in a manner that keeps your attention too. So, Genesis 3. The serpent had promised that they would acquire wisdom as gods, knowing good and evil. Instead, there came over them the realization that what they had done and an awful sense of shame. They remembered the divine instruction that had been told to multiply and fill the earth. They realized the very fountainhead of human life had now been corrupted in their disobedience. The very fountainhead of human life had become corrupted in their disobedience. And they were acutely aware of their nakedness. Listen to this. Their children would all be contaminated with the seed of rebellion. We're going to talk about their children the next chapter here. So that their feeling of guilt centered especially on their own pre-creative organs. The result was that they suddenly desired to hide these from others, from one another, and from God. Hastily they fashioned crude fig leaves and covered themselves, but of course, such aprons would hardly suffice to hide the guilt of their rebellion against God. The rebellion against God, which is what sin is. 
neither will the filthy rags of our own self-made righteousness serve to cover our sinful hearts today. So this is leading towards something. This is leading towards a picture of what sacrifice Jesus did for us. See, this whole 40 weeks that we're going to be teaching out of this is, in the beginning, Jesus. We're trying to teach and show the children how the whole New Old Testament, most especially, points towards Jesus Christ. You know, when I was young in my salvation, I learned that there are these things called types and shadows. Like My son's like, I'm going to step in your shadow. No, not, not that type of a shadow. But a type and a shadow that illustrated what was to come. So, okay, Cain and Abel. We go ahead to Genesis 4.3. And I don't know about you, but I was always a little bit confused when God didn't accept Cain's offering. I'm thinking, hey, he's a farmer. Abel is a shepherd. You know, he brings forth his fruits. Abel brings forth his lambs or sheep or whatever he was shepherding. Probably lamb or sheep. What what gives? Why, Why didn't he accept it? I learned last week. So, if you would, turn a few verses forward. Two, four, three. It's not quite as easy navigating in this. But, four, three. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain... And his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So, First thing that I wanted to point out is verse 3, in the process of time. One of the other commentaries that I wrote pointed out something very instructive. In the process of time is not, oh, just, you know, maybe a few years here or there, but the the commentary pointed out that it was more than likely several, several, several years. And also, um, Genesis is written in such a format that it's not completely chronological in nature. Uh, so therefore, in verse, uh, in chapter 5, I guess it is, when it talks about other brothers and sisters, this in all likelihood, well, I'll just read straight out of the commentary here. Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters, Genesis 5.4. Hence, it may be that Cain and Abel had brothers and sisters for many years to the events described in this chapter. They were both grown men. I had always thought they were like wee little boys. Maybe teenagers. But, you know, I always had them this picture. This is like, all right, this is my first time I'm going to give a sacrifice. Not likely. Not likely. Um, so, it is therefore quite probable that the offerings described in these verses were not the first ones offered by these two brothers. Rather, it must have become a regular practice. It's more than likely that Adam and Eve had instructed their children, just like you instruct your children, of how to worship God. And the proper way to worship God and give a sacrifice to God is by the shedding of blood. 
just as God did. And this is one part that I rushed over and didn't describe. When God gave a covering for Adam and Eve, another word for covering is atonement, he had to kill two animals. And if you think about Adam and Eve, what, did that, what was, the, what was one, the, one of the first instructions God gave to Adam with respect to the animal kind? Any Bible scholars? Come on, Paul. To name the animals, right? So he had to go and name all these animals. So he had an intimate knowledge of all these animals. And, um, and also read in another commentary that Jesus, the, the picture of God walking through the garden is all, in all likelihood Jesus incarnate in form. And, and that's, I've heard that on another podcast I was listening to with respect to many pictures times. We oftentimes think of um, God when he speaks to you know, his creation throughout the Old Testament. And many times it's Jesus incarnate form speaking to them. But, so, the, the picture that's given is that the animals had to be sacrificed. I had always thought as a kid, you know, here they are, just, here you go, and out through the magical air, here comes two skins, and voila, they're, they're put on them. No, the, the, the picture that I now understand is these animals were sacrificed in front of them. Adam and Eve were taught the importance of sacrifice, of an atonement. And that sacrifice is a point to the future of Jesus Christ being sacrificed for us. Um, anyhow, since... Since it was on this first occasion on which Cain received a rebuke, it would be inferred that of his previous offerings had been acceptable to God. So, in all likelihood, it's not that Cain's just, you know, there, and, you know, this is the first time, but this is at several times. Um, so let's remember, Cain was a um, farmer, and Abel was a uh, shepherd. So therefore... Um, I'll just finish up here. Such revelation is most likely... Dun, 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 dun. Cain himself had probably purchased from Abel a sheep for his own sacrifice each time they came to the appointed place. There came a time, however, when Cain began to resent the situation and finally decided to rebel against it. So you can see the picture a little bit more clearly, but the thing that I gained out of it mostly was that God gave... Um, a right way to cover the sin in Adam and Eve. And Cain had rebelled against the way that he had been instructed. Therefore, when we are given the right way from the word, I'm looking for my Bible, from the word, we need to listen to God and not look for our own ways to cover our shame or for our own ways to try to present an offering acceptable to God. He's already shown us that. He's already told us that. In our constant search for newness in the world and new things to, you know, make us feel good, we, know, we don't need to constantly seek new things. We can go back to the tried and true tested ways that God has given us and worship him in that manner. Okay, thanks, man. Well, this has been really good. Thanks to all those of you who shared. And so I'm hoping that a couple things got stirred in us through this. I mean, obviously, as you were hearing different people sharing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit was stirring in your heart encouragement, instruction, comfort, strength, whatever. But also that 
if you don't have a pattern of regularly reading the Bible for yourself, I hope that you saw through this that you can get great benefit from reading the scriptures on your own. You have the Holy Spirit if you're trusting Jesus. He will teach you. He will comfort you. You will meet him in the scriptures. So be reading the scriptures on your own on a regular basis. And then secondly, do what these have just done with each other every day of the week so that the word of Christ is richly dwelling within us. As you simply read a verse, share with a brother, share with a sister what you've been taught, God will use that in his or her life in a powerful way. So much benefit will come through that, and that'll be very strengthening and encouraging for the fellowship we have here. So let's stand together. I'll pray for us. This has been a rich time this morning, and thank you for each one who shared, and thank you for your word, that we have the word of God, living and powerful and active. And I pray, Lord, that you'd use this morning to stir many here who have not been uh, earnest in reading your scriptures regularly, that you would encourage them with what they can experience as they do that, and that we would be sharing the scriptures with each other more in our home groups, with other brothers and sisters that we have here in the, in the church. Do this in our hearts, Lord, so that we'll be strengthened, so that we'll experience more of your love being poured into our hearts, so that we'll have more of you to share with people who don't know you. So come and do this in a mighty way this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.